Kim Grinnells of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. Day three of fall camp 2023, and uh, we're still officially in the Pac-12 conference, but not for long after yesterday's bombshell announcement. We'll talk about that a little bit later and what's going on a little bit later today. But uh, a little bit different temperature out on the shores of Lake Washington today. We got spit on a little mm-hmm. bit with a little bit of rain, nothing to really be concerned about. Kind of overcast pro- temperature probably, what, high 60s, low, low 70s. 70s. So I, I don't think you could ask. Uh, the guys from Texas. I'm sure just loving this weather. It got a little humid uh, with the yeah. with the rain coming down, but uh, honestly, it felt great. Uh, do you guys remember the last time we had rain in the middle of fall camp? It doesn't happen very often. No, it didn't happen. Uh, last and year, to be honest know. with you, I wouldn't even consider that rain. It wasn't. It was sprinkles. But yeah. I mean, where I I actually wore yeah wore oh I I but I actually wore a long sleeve thing. Yeah, it doesn't I mean, usually the, happen in August. Blue Angels are here again. Yeah. yeah, it's I didn't today and today, tomorrow. Today was the day. Yeah. Today and tomorrow. Yeah. So they, yesterday was just practice. Yeah. But they were buzzing us during the podcast. I don't know if that sound you could hear it or not, but oh, they yeah. were buzzing my house during the podcast yesterday. But I think today we talked about as on fire as the offense was on the first day of practice on Wednesday. Defense made a comeback today. Yeah, they I mean they I'd say they had a bounce back on, on Thursday, but today they dominated up front. It was really tough for the offensive offensive line to get things going. Um, MJ Ale, Ulumu Ale, whoever you want to say it, but he uh, I, he was dominant for for. There were like two series that I remember that he was just dominant, absolutely dominant. He's probably small right now than he has been probably since he was in middle school. Nah, I, I would bet early early, early high school, yeah. Yeah. Ninth, ninth, tenth grade, probably. Yeah, I mean, he showed up here at what? He was three sixty. Yeah, I mean, I think he was a little bit heavier than that, but he he said he stepped on the scale at three seventeen. But that experience is paying off because mm-hmm. he was dominant up. Yeah, front today. It's, it was a good move by Washington. Lap so last off season before it was right after the coaches got here, I think. They decided to move him over to get him a little more size and a little more athleticism on that defensive line, and and he then he gets hurt what midway through fall camp, and there was a thought that he might not be able to play at least early on, but yeah. he ended up playing. I think he played in all but like two games last year, and more of that was just due to uh, substitutions, I think, than anything. But um, I think that experience is starting to show now because he doesn't seem like he's playing slow. He's playing fast. Chris, with yeah. the domination of the defense today, especially up front, do you think that was something that uh, defense just had a good day or was practice just kind of skewed that way? Well, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but today we got a chance to talk to the offensive players and coaches, and I asked, specifically asked Coach Grubb what his feelings were after that because basically the whistle blows, everyone comes together, and the defense is just whooping and hollering like they just – Won you know won the national championship and the offense you can tell is just not not happy and I always go back to when Chris Peterson talked about it like if one team was doing better than the other he was always of mixed emotions because when you're going against yourself it's like yeah I feel great that the one team is doing great but then it sucks that the other team is getting abused and so I asked Grubb I said do you have any mixed emotions because I know you're going to have great tape that you can really coach on stuff like that he goes no don't get it twisted I'm pissed. And so Grubb, was, he was. He was legitimately upset, like the way things were going on today. And give credit, I, it all starts up front, as we know. Um, talking a little bit more about Ale, there was a sequence during that last team period. And again, this was the first practice where they had some pads. They had shoulder pads. They had officials out there. So this is the practice where you can play at some like thud tempo, almost full tempo, but not you know you're not tackling, you're not taking guys to the ground, but yet... This is the practice where you're always concerned 
that players can get hurt because this is the first time where they can kind of really go at each other. And, um, you know, he talked, he talked at length about saying, hey, we need to be competitive, not combative. Because once it gets combative, then there's no point. There's just no point to any of it. And when Ole was in there, he was busting up plays inside. And then when they focused on him, that freed up guys like Thule to make plays one-on-one. And when they were bringing other players down, like Dom, Dom Hampton, you know, he's, he can be a presence inside the box with his physicality. And I saw him make some plays because he was freed up to do so because guys like Ole were taking up more than one guy. Best way to make the front seven look good is having stellar cornerback and you know secondary play and I think we're starting to see an elite corner out there in Jabbar Muhammad he's not the biggest guy but I'm no. telling you he looks good yeah he I, I thought he's looked pretty good but today I will say I thought that there were several times that if the quarterbacks had had time to throw there were guys open down the field but because they didn't have time to throw and they were pushed off their spot by the front four I think the front four made the secondary look good today. I know that you can have it work both ways, but uh, yes. But getting back to Muhammad, he's looked really good. I thought I think Elisha Jackson has looked pretty good too. The problem is he had really good coverage on a couple of guys, and the the throws were just unbelievable. That that back shoulder throw that he made that Penix made to Denzel Boston. Yeah, Elisha Jackson was in perfect position to make the play, and he. It was just too good of a throw. How do you defend a back no, shoulder you throw? No, you can't. If it's on, if it's on point, you can't defend. It's undefendable. It. One thing I will say about Jamar Muhammad, I didn't notice him today. And typically, when you're going up against this offense and you don't notice the cornerback, that means he's not I, getting burned. I do remember one where Odunzi had one down the sidelines, yeah. and Muhammad was running right, right with him, and right when the ball hit his hands, he slapped it away. Yeah, yeah. and he's, that would have been a that would have been about a 45 yard play. He's not big. Was he five nine? Yeah, probably somewhere five nine. I think five, he's ten. listed at five ten, but yeah, yeah, he's not big, but man, he's just sticky. Yeah, he can cover guys left and right. Yeah. And just talking to him, you can tell he's an intelligent kid. Uh, Absolutely. As well. What was he second team preseason uh, all conference this year? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, he was second team all Big Twelve. I was going to say, I think year. at one point in his career at Oklahoma State, he was first second, or second team. He was second team All Big Twelve yeah. last yeah. year. Yeah, and you can definitely see it. And then when we take a look at that secondary, Elijah Jackson and uh, Thaddeus Dixon, is he coming on? Is, is Elijah taking that spot? Or? I think. I think it again. I think Thaddeus Dixon will have to take that from Elijah Jackson. I don't think Elijah Jackson is just going to give it to him. Yeah. Um, so far, I haven't seen enough from Thaddeus Dixon to say he's going to be the starter. Elijah Jackson is still playing really well, but we've still got, I don't know, what, another 18 practices to go before. before yeah, and, and, and Thaddeus Dixon had one of the two picks today along with Leroy Bryant, which was a tip pick from yeah. Austin Mack, <coughs> who got his first action But Thaddeus today. Dixon's was just, it that was just not a great, it wasn't a great throw. It wasn't a great throw by yeah. Dylan Morris. But I will say, and I completely concur with you, Scott, it's amazing how good the defensive backs can all of a sudden look when the quarterback's getting harassed, mm-hmm. right. like big time. And, you know, Michael Penix didn't even play the last two periods. This was all a carrot to guys like Austin Mack and Alex Johnson so that they could get their turns. And Ryan Grubb completely said that. Yeah, yeah. he goes, this was their chance to get some, some, some reps and some valuable turns. And those guys were running around with like chickens with their heads cut off because they're, the defense was all over them. Well, I think the thing that's interesting too, Scott, that I'm starting to see, and, you know, I, They've got depth, not just for this year, 
They've got young depth, too. They do. They do. Um, I really like, I think, all three of the cornerbacks that they brought in in the class, Curly Reed, Caleb Presley, Leroy Bryant, um, I think they all look like future guys who could start. Yeah. I, I mean, Bryant, none, Bryant has stood out. To yeah, me. Bryant has really stood out, and I think he stood out to the coaches because he's one. He's running with Devon Banks with the threes, basically the threes. Yeah, because you've got Mo, you got Muhammad and Jackson at the ones, and you've got Javion Green and, and Thaddeus Dixon at the yeah. twos, and then uh, Banks. Yeah. yeah, and Banks, I th- think, has looked more confident this year. Last year, he was around the ball a lot and did get a couple picks, but some of those were deflections, some of those were bad throws. Yeah. This year, he's not getting the picks, but he's there to break up passes, and he's talking to guys all yeah. if you the take field. If you take his, his body of work in, in springs and falls, you know the guy's a ball hawk. You know the guy can find the ball. His biggest thing is just staying healthy. If he can stay healthy, he can play. Mm-hmm. Well, t- just taking it one step further, when you take a look at the depth, not only in the secondary, but then you take a, depth, a look at the depth of the linebackers, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then take a look at the depth of the wide receivers. Those guys are going to be playing a ton of special teams. I know. They're going to have to if they're going to want to get on the field. I mean, if you think about the linebackers, let's just start with them. Linebackers, you've got Ulafoshio and, and Tupatala as your, probably your starters. Bruner and Goforth are right behind those guys, and they're the second team. Devin Bryant, Drew Feller... I could name five teams in the Pac-12 alone that Drew Fowler could be starting at. Yep. And he's another guy he's that a I, thought walk on. A, I thought he had a great practice And today. he had a really good practice today. Devin Bryant might not be starting at schools, but he'd be in the rotation. He might not even play enough this year. They might be able to redshirt him, but he's good enough to play. Is there a though. small linebacker washing his head? He's not big. Is no. there a small linebacker washing his head that you compare him to? Kervin? Bember Kervin. That, well, that's that was what. The, if you want to talk about a small linebacker so, that was always around the ball, the, the two Devin guys, Bryant's been around the, the ball. The two guys that I made comparisons to, and I asked some other scouts and some of the Husky coaches about this, um, was Jordan Whitney was um, Keyshawn Bieria. The way he runs around and he can make plays, and he's a little on the lighter side. He's only about two hundred and ten pounds. Devin Bryant, I said, I I asked and I said, is he Bender Kervin? And he said. He is a more athletic version of Ben Burkirvan. Now, he's not as good as Ben Burkirvan is yet, but at this point in their development, he's a, he's ahead of where Ben Burkirvan was. No, it's just kind of real interesting to take a look, you know, compared to a year ago or two years ago and look at the depth and look at the pieces. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to have a championship-caliber team, you have to have that depth. You mm-hmm. have to have guys down the depth chart that could be starting at other schools. Mm-hmm. And it sure looks like they're, they're getting there. Yeah. It's it's like building the farm system in in baseball. You got to have these young guys being able to come up because they're the future of the program. Yeah. And the developmental piece of it, if you are progressing, if you're taking next steps, that change from year one to year two in a program should be the biggest jump. And right now, Washington is right in the middle of making that jump from year one to year two with the defense now. You, you, you would say the same thing about the offense, but the offense was so good last year. Who knows what the jump is going to be like from year one to year two with them. It, I assume it's going to be a lot more incremental mm-hmm. just because there's, the, the ceiling How is so much. How high can you go? How much yeah, higher The ceiling is so much closer yeah. for them compared to the defense. But right now we're seeing that the floor on the defense is becoming much better than it was a year ago, and it's, I don't think it's close. Two picks today uh, by the defense. Any one of those, anything to add to those? A, a lot of sacks. There were a lot of sacks. A lot of touch sacks. That, that sack that Thule would have gotten on Dylan Morris 
He was in the backfield when he was still. <laughs> Dylan Morris was had barely gotten the ball. Yeah, he and, he just beat the guy, whoever the center was, and I'm assuming it was Brailsford, the center, and it was the center and the right guard, whoever he beat on that. It was insane. It looked like he was fired out of a cannon. Yeah. And then you had uh, Sakai Asawao Afua. Yeah. No, he uh, was all over. Well, he, he was on the period with Austin Mack. Yeah, and he got it. He got at least one, if not two. I sacks. think he got two. And then yeah. even when the ones, you know, because obviously everyone's going to focus on some of these guys. Right? Braylon Trice. But Braylon yeah. Trice, he had he had he absolutely mauled Rosengarten on a play, and basically almost went over the top of him yeah. to get to Penn. And, and Lance Holtzclaw got Dylan Morris off of his spot yeah. on, a, on a play. I mean, I, I just thought overall the defensive front made things really hard on the offense today. They did. They yeah. did. And take a look at the offensive side of the ball. Again, you said you had a chance to talk to Grubb, and yeah. he was pissed. Yeah. Where was the breakdown on the offense today, do you think? Well, I just think, honestly, I think it was the defense getting after it from the defensive line up. And it was it was just simply an execution, um, because Penix is still making plays, guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm talk. We're talking about the final two periods where guys like MJ really showed up. But let's be clear; those were periods where Michael Penix didn't play. Okay, we're not necessarily talking that the ones weren't playing, but Michael Penix wasn't playing. Demo was in charge of most of the the reps with when when the ones and the, and what have you when they were getting um, into it. But you know they're trying they're running the ball they're trying to run the ball a little bit more. You're getting more guys, more running backs involved. Um, you know, Will Nixon's getting more involved. You know, Cam Davis, I think, is the clear number one. I don't think it's, there's any yeah. question. Who's the number two? Uh, I think Will Nixon right now has been getting two reps. I would have said Dylan Johnson, but since he's hardly practiced. Yeah, I haven't seen much of Dylan. Didn't see much of Sam Adams today. Did not see much of, I saw some of Ingata. But I saw basically it was Cam Davis and Will Nixon were getting the most, and then Richard Newton was getting in there as well. Richard Newton, yeah, and, you know, and I didn't include him on my uh, write up, but I thought he looked pretty good. And, and Grubb basically concurred when I told him. I said he sure looks like he's got his not so much swagger back, but he's got the joy back for the game. And he said, yeah, he said during the bowl practices and stuff, he goes, that's where he kind of reemerged. And frankly, I think it was just simply a matter of feeling good with his body. He just mm-hmm. feels better. And when you're feeling better, you're going to play better, and he's happier. I remember one play today where Newton got through, and he got the secondary, and he was going towards the guys who were behind the thing, and Tooley was one of the guys behind the play, and he almost, like, jumped right into Tooley's arms. Because, <laughs> you know, these are two guys that kind of came into the program together. Pretty and close. Yeah. So he, Rich, is, is he's one of those few guys on the offensive side that kind of has fun with some of the defensive players out there, too. So. Austin Mack, who's 17 years old, just turned 17, should still be in high school, was initiated into college football today. Is that a fair statement? Um, well, I don't know about initiated, but he definitely... Introduced? Yeah, he uh, yeah, it, he looked confused. He yeah. looked confused a lot, and um, which is, you expect, you expect that. that. Yeah, and this isn't, this isn't Peyton Manning coming in and starting as a freshman, right? This is, this is a guy who has only started for one season in high school football. Um, and he, he's young for his age as it is. So, you know, I mean, Washington is able to get him in, and I think the big reason they wanted to get him in was because they know Michael Penix has gone after this year. They want someone to battle Dylan Morris. That's why they brought in Will Haskell as well. And so you want these – it's actually great for um, – Austin Mack to have these struggles now because yeah. he can start to see, 
I got a long way to go. Yeah, I just imagine a 17 year old competing against. I couldn't imagine grown ass men. They're 22, 23 years old. No. Yeah, he he got welcomed today. You could see it's gonna come, but yeah. he just he was just deer in the headlights out there today. Which again, it's not mm-hmm. downgrading him. That's anything more than that would have been. Shocking. Well, if you think about it, and I'm maybe getting into Hugh Millen territory here, but here we go. but you think of the body. Uh, the body and, and the physicality and all that different stuff, men usually hit their peak athleticism around 27, right? Somewhere in there, 27, 28. Well, when you come out of college, you're usually 22, 23 years old. So you're about four years behind the guys who are at their peak level of physical abilities. But a 17-year-old as opposed to a 22-year-old, the gap is well, so huge. Also a six-foot-seven? Yeah. He's still growing into his body. Oh, I know. He's he's just got so much growth to do and all that different stuff. And, and you can see it. Yeah, you can definitely see 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 that the potential there. And and I mean, he snaps the ball off. The ball jumps off of his hand. Yeah, he was he wasn't the only true freshman though, on the offensive side of the ball that was uh, basically no, not so much struggling, but was given um, let's say a notice that they're that they still have a lot to learn. Because when I spoke to Ryan Grubb and asked him about the three true freshman uh, receivers, yeah, who I thought honestly the very very first day stood out, and I thought they had a really good day, and then it's kind of, mm-hmm. I think it's been more like drinking water through a fire hose as mm-hmm. they've continued to go, and I asked him, I said, what are your initial thoughts on the on the three true freshmen on on Keith Reynolds and Tayshawn Lyons and Rasheed Williams? He just looked at me and goes, no comment, and I said, well, okay, when when would you feel comfortable? having a, a critique on, on kind of their initial impressions and things like that. And he goes, when they can go through a walkthrough and their position coaches aren't telling them where to line up. Oh, yeah. I, this is, this. I mean, Keith, we're talking 100-level stuff that they're having. It's like going back to school for these guys. Well, Keith Reynolds got lit up by Jamarcus mm-hmm. Shepard there in the middle of a drill, and Keith thought it was going to be a good idea to run over into the training tent and get some tape. Yeah, it didn't go over real well. So he's just, you know, you may be able to get away with that as a senior in high school and being recruited by a lot of schools, but uh, here's a uh, freshman. So, Kim, so Kim, you characterized it as a welcome to college football moment. Yeah. To me, they feel more like come to Jesus moments. Yeah. Like you, you, Coach Shepard is your personal savior, and you better not, you know, Pissing you better not off. cross him. You know, when we were talking about, you know, guys growing into their body, the guy that, and when I go down to the offensive line, the guy I kind of keep on looking at is Elijah Chiquette. Mm-hmm. Um, he's about 6'7". He looks like a basketball player. He looks right like now. a basketball player, and you can just see that guy's going to put on 30 pounds. But it isn't just the size that he's going to put on. You look at the feet that he works with, the length, the length of his arms, the- all that all that he has. He's, I said it, I've said it, I'm not saying he's going to wind up being the greatest offensive lineman over the last 20 years at the University of Washington, but he has that potential. He's got that potential. He does not look like Foster Sorrell did coming out of high school. No, Foster Sorrell was, was a very man. developed. Yeah. He's a man. But, but you talk about uh, Suwane Faasolo, you can see lower body, he's pretty developed. Upper body, he has no development at all that guy is going to easily put on 30 40 pounds that's yeah. another guy who's going to that's put where on coach McKeefrey just locks yeah. him into the weight room yeah. and said come back in a year son but you can see and I asked coach Huff about that a little bit about guys like that you know if they're uh and he flat out admitted you know they're profiling body types they mm-hmm. want they want to get taller and they want to get longer and you take a guy like Jaquette 
and Foss Solo, mm-hmm. you can add 30 pounds to those guys. Easy. Easy. Yeah. Easy. And then you got something to work with. Yeah. But these guys that, you know, are just, who, um, look, uh, I always kind of go back to, yeah, they're not recruiting guys like Morgan Roseboro anymore. No. Well, but again, Morgan Roseboro was huge. <laughs> and yeah. he was, but, but, you know, but to the point, even the defensive line guys, when we talked to Coach um, Inoka yesterday, he said flat out, he said the profiles of the guys that we were looking for that we wanted to get in the program in our first year were guys that were longer, bigger, rangier. And he goes, that's why having a guy like MJ Ale inside is so big for us because we wanted to get those six-foot-six long lever, whatever, those, those arms into the mix to see what he can do, and we're already seeing the benefits of that. Yeah, um, also just had a chance post-practice, you know, just – We've been doing this for so long. There's certain guys that really jump out at you, and I just think one of the coolest guys, one of the smartest guys, and just kind of a low key guy will just knock the crap out of you. I love talking to Jack Westover. Mm-hmm. He said he graduated two years ago. <laughs> so what kind of classes are you taking? And he's just kind of, uh, you know. And I said, you take the same classes, as Michael. And he goes, pretty much. He's you on, know, those guys on the Matt Liner class loads. Yeah. What he does, he's on like underwater ballet, well, BB stacking, whatever. I asked whatever. to Atele the same thing because he graduated this spring, and I said, "What what what classes are you taking?" And he goes, "We haven't even registered yet." Yeah. And he goes, and I said, "You gonna go the Jackson Kirkland route and do uh, dance? Wasn't it ballroom dancing that Jackson did?" Uh, I thought that was some. I thought that was Dylan. Oh, maybe it was Dylan. Whoever it was, and, and he goes, he goes, "Hey, if I can get credit for that, sure." But he goes, he got. Um, Tuit Taylor got his uh, degree in medical anthropology and something else, and he said he wants to go to third world. He eventually wants to go to third yeah. world countries and establish stuff. He goes, he goes. I'm actually going to be taking classes that will help me. Well, yeah. There. If you have an opportunity to get graduate level classes and you're doing it on Washington's dime, why wouldn't you why do that? You? I understand the thought process where you know you're focused on the season. You really want to focus on the football. But at the same time, if you have the opportunity mm-hmm. to do both, the coaches aren't going to tell you no. In fact, they're probably going to encourage you to do it because they want you to be sharp in all ways. They do want you, you to be on it 24-7. Do you still have to do two credit or 12, I think it's 12 credits to stay eligible or something like that, no whatever idea. it is. I wonder if you have to have the same amount of credits in grad school as you do as an undergrad. No idea. You had a chance to talk to Michael Penix post-practice. Anything no. Anything of note from Michael? No, no, no. Just that I think it's, you know, I think he's happy that the, the talk about the Big Ten stuff is out. You know, obviously everyone wants to talk to him about it because of his connections with Indiana. But again, this is something that he's not even going to be dealing with next year. He's going to be gone. And so I think the fact that it's over with, he goes, hey, we're still focused on all this other stuff. That stuff was not much of a distraction either way. He goes, but the fact that it's out now, it's only going to make it easier for us to handle what we need to handle. So that was good. You know, talk to him just a little bit about, you know, the, his connection again with, with guys like Rome and Jalen and how that continues to grow. And um, you talk to him about his golf game. So I, you know. it, it, What's funny with Michael is that um, he's always good with us, but he always seems a little bit awkward, uneasy talking to us too. Well, I just think he's been through it too much. You know, he knows the process. Yeah, so. I mean, he's just kind of. Most of those guys at that at that stage are, yeah. are have kind of are thinking or, or more guarded on certain things, but we'll talk to you at length about the basic questions. Yeah, and and I give Michael a lot of credit, you know, just for doing what he's doing as long as he's been around. You know, just dealing with us and dealing with the media it can be kind of a pain, and 
is probably not his favorite thing to do, but he's always been gracious and he's always been good with the, us. The, the, the question that I really wanted to ask him was just specifically like when you're in a team in year one and you come in, you win 11 games, and now the expectations have been ratcheted up to a whole new level, you're a Heisman Trophy candidate, all these things are swirling around you. What is it like in the locker room now? Does it feel any different? Does, is there any sort of change that you have to deal with as a leader to make sure that you, you keep these guys where they need to be? And he goes, no, it's easy. He goes, the easiest thing in the world because we haven't won anything yet. Yeah. And that's their mantra. Their, they, you see the hashtag on, on Twitter and all that stuff, us versus us. He goes, that their biggest opponent is themselves because even though they won 11 games, they won their bowl game, I talked to Cam Davis about it. Cameron Davis, he goes, I'll ask you a question about that. He goes, did we win a national championship last no. year? And I said, no. And he goes, that's what we're shooting for. Well, Jamarcus Shepard went off on us. You guys got championship rings? I didn't get one last year. And, no. he, and he just went off. You got one? But, goes, you, can, but you can tell it's a point of contention oh, with yeah. them. You know they're going to get the same questions over and over. It's like, how do you keep your fire when you win 11 games? And he goes, how can we not? We didn't do anything. And that's, that's going to be their whole mantra all year long. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Uh, just yesterday, um, you know, Chris, we I've been doing this since 1997. I think you joined us in 2000, 2001. Well, I've been, mon- I've been moderator and stuff since 97, but yeah, time since 2000. But uh, is yesterday one of the most epic days in the history of dogman.com? I would say the only thing that I can think of that would rival it would have either been the Rose Bowl game against Purdue or the night that Shaq Thompson committed. Yeah, I, I would have. I would also add uh, the night that Tyrone Willingham was retained after Hawaii. Yeah, after the Hawaii game. I just think this was one of the most epic roller coaster rides where. You go to bed thinking one thing, and then you wake up, and you're seeing other stuff, and you're going, huh? And that lasted about 90 minutes, and then the tide didn't turn. It was a damn tidal wave. It happened yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and um, you know, I know a lot of people on the message boards didn't want to hear this, and, and there, it, it clearly, when you're writing headlines, you basically eliminate all context. But the storyline of yesterday when Washington and Oregon joined the Big Ten was that Oregon and Washington effectively provided the hammer blow, the death blow, to the Pac-12. And I think that's crap, by the way. It may, it may be crap, but John Wilner is posting stuff like that. All these other yeah. guys are posting stuff like that. But Do I think it's fair? No. Do I think it's avoiding all context? 100%. If Washington- but guys, I, like I said, I, do, I don't make the rules. I just know how it works. Yeah, Arizona. Okay? And the deal with Apple expired yesterday morning. That was yes. off the table, and Arizona was leaving regardless. That, so. that, that CEO meeting with the grant of rights and stuff—you know, you know that that was going to turn into here, a circus sideshow. The, the 
the the death blow to the Pac-12 was losing the LA schools. Yeah. Because once that happened, you weren't going to get any kind of a media deal that was even close to what anybody else. Well, if you get. listen to Softy's rant on another radio station, you know he was going off. You know he goes like, "We've been like the adults sitting in the kids' room for Thanksgiving dinner. We're at the kids' table now. We're at the big boys' table because." I mean, just stop and think about all the crap and nonsense with Tom Hansen renewing the Rose Bowl, the, the crappy bowl contracts that this conference has entered into, the officiating problems, the PR problems, the cupcake problems, all that crap that's been going on. It's been like small-time football. It's been amateur hour, and I think now that it's in the rearview mirror, I think we can start to see things a little bit more clearly and how bad things really were with this conference. See, and I, and I wouldn't necessarily characterize it as amateur hour or those types of things. What I would say is there is a fundamental cultural difference between how football or, or athletics in general are associated with the universities out west compared to in the yep. Midwest or in the south. Absolutely. In the Midwest and in the south, it's all together. The presidents and chancellors of the biggest schools in the Big Ten and the SEC, for instance, and to the ACC, I'm sure, and probably even Big 12, I mean all of them, there is a cohesiveness Partnership. between yeah. the athletics and their mission and the academic side and the university and their mission. Out West, athletics has always been considered an afterthought. It's always been considered almost like extracurricular, like, like intramurals. Right. Yep. So, so the so the universities, their presidents and their chancellors have all kind of been in their ivory towers, saying, "Well, it's nice to have a great football program or a basketball program, but we're not going to sacrifice it uh, for the sake of the mission of the school." Well, what they don't realize is that you can have it all. You can actually have two thoughts together Absolutely. in your head, and it's never ever worked that way out west. And I think by joining the Big Ten. The Washington University of Washington, starting with President Kausay on down, they're going to get a rude awakening as to how the dynamics work with all those schools and those partnerships compared to how athletics has been dealt with here at Washington with respect to the university. I don't think it's going to be a rude awakening. I think it's going to be an eye-opener. Well, both. Take yeah. the, characterize it how you want. Yeah, I mean, you, you, can, you, can, you can take it how you want. Bottom yeah. line is it's going to have to change. Because it just sure, sure seems like, you know, with the upper campus and, you know, the academic institutions part of the universities on a lot of the West Coast and Pac-12 schools, they see the athletic department as a necessary evil, and if they didn't have to have it, they wouldn't. Right. And um, that's not true back at Michigan, Ohio State. Those schools embrace the athletic programs. They embrace it where Washington's kind of – the athletic program in some of the other would you schools. Say like Oregon, would you say Oregon embraces? I'd say if there is a school out west that is as, as close to the Big Ten model as there is out west, it would it's be Oregon. Oregon. It's okay. Oregon. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Would you say USC is there? I know UCLA no. is not. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I would have UCLA Carol, or USC there. I, I think Carol Folt is more in line with what the academic mission is and athletic mission is than maybe her predecessors. Again, I really truly think this all emanates from the presidents and chancellors because yeah. we talk about the death blow of the Pac-12 mm -hmm. and all that stuff. <laughs> Let's be real clear. The real death blow happened when the presidents and chancellors, you're talking about Ed Ray at Oregon State, you're talking about uh, Crow Michael at Arizona Crow. State. Those are the guys that killed the Pac-12. Well, Let's, Let's be and, real and clear I've about that. I've mentioned this numerous times. Michael Crow and Ed Ray... 
Oregon State and Arizona State possess the two most influential presidents when it came to athletics in the conference. Those are the guys running the show, and those were the henchmen and the lackeys for Larry Scott. Stop and think about that. Oregon State and Arizona State had the most influence in that conference. Yeah. Do you think you think that would ever happen in a conference like the Big Ten? The two well, that would be like Indiana and Illinois yeah, having, but, having the most yeah. influence. Well, let's also think about it this way, guys. That was taking place when the president of the University of Washington was Mark Emmert. Mark Emmert became the head of the NCAA. Is he still the head? Or no, did, did, no, he just, he just, he just, he just left a little while ago. A couple months ago? Uh, no, I don't know, but I don't remember the well, time. It was last exactly. year. It was last year, I think. But either way, the future head of the NCAA was the president of the University of Washington at the time, and he didn't have as much sway with the Big 12 CEOs as Ed Ray at Oregon State and Michael Crow at Arizona State. How messed up is that? Well, it's it's uh, it's all based it's on it's all based on the relationship they had with Larry Scott. It's so dysfunctional. So uh, again, like Softy said, now we're at the big boys' table. So it's going to be interesting week to see what happens to uh, Washington State and Oregon State, which everybody's talking about. But you know, what about Cal and Stanford? It'll be interesting to see because we're not hearing a lot with that kind of stuff. So yeah, we'll see what happens with that. I think to be honest with you, going back to the Big Ten connection, I'm going to be absolutely. I mean, I'm going to be riveted to see how this affects basketball. That to me, because obviously basketball is in the rear view. I even put on our Twitter reaction story. I put a tweet by Rick Pitino. Rick Pitino was talking about the re- realignment. And he says, "Guys, let's make no mistake. It's very clear now. Everyone is driven by football now. Even us. All the decision makers are going to be in the media, in the media like Fox and ESPN and those guys, and they're only worried about football. They are not worried about us at all. We are." going to be making our decisions based on what they do, and they're only thinking about football. Yeah, I talked to Will Conroy a little bit last night. I said, how's this impact you? He goes, doesn't we just go play ball? Yeah. I mean, because, you know, they, the thing... Oh, but I'm talking about the schedule makers, and, like, where's the, like, Washington, all four of the Pac-12, or the (coughs) West Coast schools having to go back to play. You know, what happens now if they decided they wanted to have the, the Big Ten tournament Maybe in the Midwest for a year, yeah. and then they come out west maybe for a year. Well, the thing of it with football, you only play three out of conference games. In basketball, you're playing what twelve? Well, and plus, you now that you have eighteen teams in the Big Ten, mm-hmm. you could have a situation where a bunch of those teams don't even make their own league tournament. Yeah, depending on how they want to schedule it and how they want to um, format it. That's why I'm saying I think basketball for men and the women. It's going to be, I'm riveted. I'm, I'm really, really a lot more interested to find out how they figure out that conundrum oh. compared to football. Because I think football will be very easy to a, figure out. How about a conversation with softball coach Heather Tarr? Well, sure. But you know what? It's interesting. Those guys are out on the road for like weeks at a time but, but at the beginning they, of the season but, anyway. But they would go down to Arizona for Arizona and Arizona well, State. And, Not and, just and, that, but tournaments too. But yeah. Uh, yeah, but a lot of those, a lot of the Big Ten teams are doing that They'll too. They'll be doing that in They'll be Arizona, going to Arizona and Texas They'll and be New going Mexico. to Florida. Yeah. Because I remember this last year, they went to Clearwater, Florida, and they were there for almost a week and a half or whatever. Softball is a little different animal. I'm wondering, like, what what about volleyball? Yeah. I mean, now, I mean, Big Ten is loving the fact that Washington and Oregon are coming in for volleyball, not Mm -hmm. let alone USC and UCLA. Yeah. They are, I mean, it will be without a doubt the Big Ten is the volleyball conference now. There is no other conference. We have a 3 o'clock Zoom call with Jen Cohen and Adam 
Is it Anamare is how you pronounce it. Really? Anamare Kase. Uh, So uh, Scott and I will be all over that, and we'll have uh, uh, updates on that a little bit later in the day. So let's go ahead and wrap it up. we got a lot of work to do. Yeah, a lot of work to do. Um, You know, weird third day just because it was uh, cloudy and and not as warm as we we had been getting. Um, It was... I don't want to say it was an uneventful. It wasn't as eventful, I thought, as the first couple practices. But um, there was still some stuff, fun stuff to watch. First day in pads, so they were they were hitting a little bit more. Yeah, I just think that you know, again, the offense will still find ways to try to move the ball, and they still have obviously all their weapons and stuff. But I think it's encouraging to see the defense bite back a little bit, especially up front, especially to see guys like MJ Alley, who's one hundred percent healthy now, guys like Tooley getting some help inside which will really help them. Um, you know, it's just nice. And then obviously we know what they can do with the, with the guys at the edge with, with guys like ZTF and, and Braylon Trice, but, you know, behind them, guys like Afoa having a, a really good day. Holtzclaw continuing to show up here and there. So I think they're building something slowly but surely. I think it's good. And um, it was interesting today, too, because they had uh, volunteers out today that were uh, washing the, the – the butt pads or the whatever you call them. Well, they were those. installing them. They were some of them were installing well, the were, cushions. Yeah, yeah, they were installing the cushions. The butt they were pads. clean. You were, I don't know what you want to call them. The cushions. <laughs> the cushions. There you go. Butt cushions. And uh, and they were watching the practice from time to time too. And you could just see that you hear the gasps and the cheers and the claps and stuff. And so it was interesting to have a little bit of a crowd out there too. Yeah, day three uh, in the books. Day four tomorrow, open practice for us. And tomorrow we will talk to Coach Kalen DeBoer, and I'm sure. He's going to get a lot of questions about you know joining the Big Ten, but uh, again, we'll have Coach Kalen DeBoer tomorrow. A lot of updates from today. We'll get those out as fast as we can. We've got the podcast that we're doing today, and then we've got to do it with the conference call. So lots of content uh, coming up from the guys from dogman.com. And just looking forward, we have practice, what, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday next week? Yes. Yeah, so we got tomorrow, Sunday, Monday, off, Monday off, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then that's it for Open practices until the following week on Tuesday, Tuesday and, and then, the, then the following week is on Wednesday. Yeah. yeah, so there's only two more but, open practices for us. But just to, just to make sure, real clear for anyone listening, we're still going to have media availability yeah. after those yeah. practices. So we will show up All but and wait. Two, I think, right? Yeah, there's yeah. going to be one or one that's closed there's, to everybody. There's one that's off off site. Yeah, they're they're always going to have one or two where like sometimes they'll go to the VMAC or they'll yeah. go. Um, somewhere off-site, whether it's a, maybe a grass field yeah. or do something. And so the 11th is season ticket holders it's open for. Yeah. And then on um, Sunday the 13th is picture day. Yeah. yeah, just a reminder, just keep it tuned in at dogman.com. And for those who aren't subscribers, uh, if you're just looking at the front page, we're all, the good stuff is on the message boards, hardcore football, hardcore recruiting, hardcore basketball. That's where we put all the interesting stuff that, you know, we just kind of want to keep behind the curtain and don't publicize it as much, you know, so that's where you're going to get the more detailed behind the scenes stuff is out on our uh, message boards and you definitely want to visit those. So anyways, for all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grinnells along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Go dogs.